being a parent is challenging on its own. But when you have a partner who is either toxic or abusive, it makes everything that much worse. But there is support for you. Hi, I'm Raymond Bercier. And I'm Homera Figihi. And welcome to From Surviving to Thriving for Parents. Hey you, pull up a seat. Welcome back. This is episode 26, and if you are a parent or soon-to-be parent who wants to give their kids the best start in life that you can give them, then you're in the right place. This show is all about you, because we're about transformation, support, and taking unwavering action so that you can become the parent you always needed, and the parent that they need you to be. Today's episode is the latest installment of the From Science to Woo and Everything in Between interview series. Today, we're joined by Homera to discuss support for women who have been in or are currently in toxic or abusive relationships. The work that she does is phenomenal, and it's my honor to be able to have her join us here today. So let's jump in. Our guest today has a doctorate in psychology has been a psychotherapist for 22 years and recently, after nine years, left her job and is a licensed clinical social worker. She is the founder of Power to the Self Online Coaching and the creator of the Empowerment for You Blueprint. She serves women with all sorts of struggles, including intimate partner violence, women who have left a controlling, manipulative, or angry partner for them to transform their self-doubt into self-worth. Welcome to the show, Homera. I'm so happy and honored to be able to share space with you today. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here, Ray. Now, before we begin, as a child who saw what his parents went through, you know, they divorced by the time I was 15. The work that you do, it resonates deep within me to my core because a lot of what you do needs to be able to be out there for others to be able to get that help and service. So I'm definitely happy to be able to have you here today to be able to share your message and be able to help our listeners. Yes, thank you. I'm very happy to be here, and hopefully I can be of help to your audience. Now, we met a couple of weeks ago at Potapalooza, and this is our pretty much our redo due to some technical issues. But for those of you who may not be familiar with you, can you please provide them with some information on what you do and why you do it? Yes, of course. I, as you mentioned, have been providing psychotherapy for two decades. And my passion has always been since I was a teenager to help other people, especially when I was like around 17, 18 for the first time, I received psychotherapy myself. And it was such an amazing experience that I immediately decided, wow, this is so cool. I need to learn how to do this. (laughs) So from early on, I had a passion for, you know, to help other people, to be there for other people. And, you know, with my friends, they always confided in me and trusted me with their troubles. And so that's how I ended up on that path toward becoming a psychotherapist. And the first part of my journey as a therapist, I worked at a uh, community mental health clinic where uh, my clients were kids. And a lot of my kids, teenagers especially, I saw a lot of teens, and they had experienced domestic violence. And that's why a lot of them were in foster care. And that's how I ended up meeting with their moms or with their foster moms, grandparents, adoptive grandparents who were taking care of them. And 
that was really my introduction to the field of domestic violence, even though myself, I had experienced some toxic relationships myself in my 20s, early 30s, but nothing to the degree that I experienced with these clients, with the kids and their moms or foster mom, you know, the stories that I heard. I was really honored to have been a part of their life and their journey, whether it was the kid or the mom who was trying to reunite with the child or the foster parents who were, you know, foster parents who were caring for them or grandparents who were caring for them. So I spent a lot of time with these caregivers. And so that was 13 years of that. And then my next job, I worked in a women's clinic and my official title there was women's health social worker. And my job as the women's health social worker was to provide case management, link our clients to different resources, as well as provide mental health services. And one of the things that I did as a uh, mental health provider was to do initial assessments with the ladies who came into our clinic. And as I was doing these assessments, I noticed that intimate partner violence keeps coming up in these interviews, these hour-long interviews. And I noticed we have all these groups for different, you know, like for trauma, for depression, for anxiety, meditation groups. We had all sorts of things that we were offering, but we had nothing for intimate partner violence. And I was really surprised to know that we have everything except this particular service. So I took it upon myself to go get the education, the training on specifically how to help women who have experienced intimate partner violence slash domestic violence. There's a little bit of difference between the two terms, by the way, but a lot of overlap as well. So I started to put together groups, which I was already doing other groups. I was already providing other groups, but I added this particular group to it as well. And it turned out to be such a rewarding experience that when I left last year, I decided to put all of my experience as a group provider together to create this program that I call Empowerment for You Blueprint and use ladies who have been through toxic and or abusive relationship. And I find it very rewarding and empowering also experience for myself and my clients as well. That was a long answer. <laughs> Tell me, please, if that was okay, if you have any questions. That was fantastic. No, that was great. It does take a lot of strength and a lot of confidence to be able to leave a position, especially, you know, after nine years. What led you to that decision? Yes, part of it was, was some things that was happening at my job the different structural changes and policies that made it, you know, an experience with mixed emotions. On the one hand, I really loved working with my clients and I like literally cried because of having to say goodbye to my clients because I was very attached to the women who, you know, the, the service that I was providing, I should say. I really enjoyed my role there. At the same time, I knew putting together groups and providing groups was only one of my tasks there at my job, one of my roles. And it was my absolute favorite thing to do. I enjoyed it so much to be a you know group provider. And so I decided if I leave, which I ended up leaving, I want to take the favorite part of my job and create a program around it and to help ladies who have been in a toxic and or abusive relationship to help them to transform their self-doubt into self-worth with the highlights of these groups that I have developed over the years and made them into one three-month program. That's fantastic. And you know what? I, I truly believe that group support is probably one of the best support that you can have. And obviously from your experience, it seems like you tend to agree with that as well. Yes, very much so. Especially for this particular subject matter, when we're talking about 
women who have suffered in silence a lot of the times. They struggled in silence because there's such a stigma attached to, especially ladies who've been in an abusive relationship. There is that sense of nobody understands me, which is true because there's so much judgment from the society, from family. Why don't you just get out? Why don't you just leave? And so there may be a lot of shame and guilt involved. And so as a result of that, when you're part of a group with with four, five, six other women, and they experience similar things, and you can provide support for each other, you can see yourself in the other, uh, you can provide validation and empathy for each other. Literally, literally every single client who came to these groups has said by the end, I don't feel lonely anymore because you have the support of not just myself, but other group members who've experienced similar experiences. Awesome. And you mentioned a key word here that I kind of want to circle back on stigma. Now, I can't speak obviously for you know the experience that these women go through. In life, there are three things that are certain. There's what we know, there's what we know that we don't know, and then there's what we don't know that we don't know. And when it comes to stigma, I know mental health stigma and how it impacts myself and how it impacts from hearing other stories of other people. When it comes to stigma in this regard, how do you help women overcome that stigma that maybe they don't want themselves to be experienced or you know, have the fingers pointed at them to deal with this? Yes, there is a whole segment in the program, which is called Untie Yourself from Shame and Move Towards Self-Compassion. Because there's so much shame and self-judgment. Let's say, okay, so let's go back. We have shame that's coming from the partner who is constantly, let's say, criticizes you, putting you down and belittles you. Then there's this shame that, let's say, we have toward ourselves, judgment, self-judgment. Then there's the shame that society and or family puts on us because why are you still in this relationship? First of all, how did you get yourself into this relationship and how are you still in it? Why don't you just leave? And so, you know, maybe the family members in the society, they don't understand the complexity of the situation. And in fact, I recently made a video of all these ways that you stay in the relationship and you're not leaving that maybe other people don't understand, you know? And so to be able to recognize that this is shame that I'm feeling, or this is guilt that I'm feeling, and what's the difference, but also to move towards self-compassion, to understand this is really important, to understand that at any moment, we can either be in shame or we can be in self-compassion. We cannot be in both at the same time. And every time that we are in shame to kind of pause, okay, I'm experiencing shame again. Is it possible that I move towards self-compassion? And so to go back a little bit to explain what shame is. Shame, as Brené Brown, based on her own research, you know, explains it's a feeling experience that is connected to the belief, conscious or maybe subconscious, the belief that I am flawed, therefore I'm not worthy of love and belonging. So anytime we feel shame, we feel small. This is the actual thought that we're telling ourselves, I'm not worthy of love and belonging because I'm flawed. And so when we feel shame to pause for a moment and see, first of all, how we can challenge that thought, which is a whole other conversation, but also how can I move towards self-compassion? And that can look different for different people. Self-compassion may be just self-care, taking care of myself, whatever that means to each individual. It may be that 
I um, get curious about myself. Where did this shame, where, where is this shame coming from? Where is it coming from? To be curious about, as opposed to and recognizing that if I go into self-judgment, I'm only making the shame bigger. So moving towards self-compassion would mean that I pause and stop the self-judgment, even if it's for this moment, just for one moment, I'm going to stop the self-judgment. That's powerful. And that is so true. We have to be able to catch ourselves when we experience these types of thoughts or beliefs, because most of the time, and feel free to correct me if you agree or disagree, most of the time, a lot of these beliefs that get fed to us, whether it's through our subconscious, these are beliefs that are provided by others along our journey. So as you mentioned, you know, our partners, our family, these are beliefs that we didn't choose ourselves. These are beliefs that have been put into our internal ecosystem that we're meant or we're forced to be able to endure and believe as our own. But in reality, these are the beliefs of others and women have the ability to choose a better belief, choose the belief that serves them best. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This is why we focus on unlearning the lies that you're speaking about, Ray. Exactly. Because if, especially if we come from a family where, let's say, our parents talk to us in this way, that they told us that we were not worthy, whether through their words or their actions, because as kids, we see ourselves through the eyes of our parents, of course. If they tell us we're smart and beautiful and worthy, that's how we see ourselves. If they tell us you're not worthy, you're lazy, you're stupid, but however, you know, they, they see us, we then see ourselves through their eyes. So yes. Or if we have an abusive boss, maybe we take their point of view of us and make it our own. If we had a teacher as we were growing up who put us down, we might see ourselves through their eyes. Um, and of course, abusive partner. And so, yes, the work is to learn how to identify these beliefs and to challenge them and to basically unlearn these lies and replace these beliefs with thoughts that are accurate and balanced and helpful and self-compassionate. Absolutely. And I want to take a quick step back and dive back into something you mentioned earlier regarding you know, your toxic experience with relationships. You know, Some of the most difficult moments in life can also be some of your greatest victories. So what did you learn from your experience going through those toxic relationships that you've been able to Find the meaning or the lesson at the time that you weren't able to find, and now use it moving forward to help others. Yeah. What I've learned over the years is to make sure that we surround ourselves with people who are kind to us, people who actually, by being around them, we end up feeling good about ourselves. And I didn't recognize that in my 20s or early 20s, at least how important it is to be around people who it feels good to be around them, that I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove my worth. You know, I learned that over time, that I don't have to prove my worth. It took a long time for me to get there, but we're all born worthy. And we forget, especially if we're in a relationship that's toxic and or abusive, we forget that we're worthy. And, and so surrounding ourselves with people who love us and care for us unconditionally, and also you know, to know our boundaries. I mean, one of the things that is so important that we don't know is, first of all, what are my boundaries and how do I set them? You know, um, that's something that I learned over the years. And also another thing that I think is so important in order to build our self-confidence is by accomplishing like tiny tasks at a time. You know, when I accomplish something little and I know, oh, I can do this, 
it adds to our confidence. And the more confident we get, the harder it becomes for the other partner to be unkind to us. And you mentioned a really important topic that I think I want to go down. Boundaries. Boundaries is one of the most difficult things that, correct me if I'm wrong as well, it's one of the most difficult things that you and I, we can experience. Like We have to be able to set boundaries. And it's not always easy. From my own personal experience, I've had to set some boundaries in my life with my loved ones, and they were very painful, but they had to be done. For someone who is having to set boundaries, because maybe they haven't set boundaries before, and they realize that boundaries need to be set in order to be able to give themselves their best, how do you help them overcome any of the grief or the shame that they may experience when they do have to put their foot down and set those healthy boundaries? Yes. Well, first, if I may, I'd like to say that I offer masterclass every couple of weeks that is called Say No Without Guilt, How to Say No Without Guilt. So I want to make sure that if anyone is interested, it's a live masterclass. And it's so important because we talk about the difference between passive and aggressive and assertive ways of communication and what beliefs lead to certain ways of communicating. But to go back to your question, about how do we do this without shame? First of all, we need to recognize that if you've been in a relationship where it's always about meeting the other person's needs, then we forget what, it, what are my needs? What is it that I like? What, is, what are my desires? And it's always about pleasing the other person. So we forget that we too, we matter also. And so to start asking yourself, what are my likes and dislikes? Even if, like, for example, I had a client one time who had left the relationship and was in a shelter and she was asked, what color shirt would you like? And she said, I don't know. My partner always picked my clothes for me. I have no idea. So even if it's just to say, what color do I like? Or let's say if you go to restaurants and it's always whatever you order, I'll have or whatever drink you order, I'll have the same drink, for example. What drink is it that I like? What are what movies do I want to see? I mean, I, I, so to start asking of the self, what is it that I want? Even if you start, start small or what kind of relationship do I want to have with my partner, with my children? And so from there, once you recognize what is it that you want, then the next step is how do I set boundaries? So if I go to a restaurant and my friend really emphasizes that I should have the drink that she's having, is it okay for me to say, I've tried that before and I didn't like to recognize that it's okay to say that. And that's setting a boundary. A boundary is I'm being respectful to my needs and your needs and we're equal. And how can I express this in a way that is um, meeting my own needs while I'm being respectful to you? Does that make sense? Definitely, for sure. And one of the things I like to mention is that everyone who's listening to this, they are important and they matter. Even if they oftentimes found themselves giving their best to everyone else and not having enough for themselves. You know, we were born to this world. Scientific odds of being here is one in 400 trillion. So they are the one in 400 trillion and they are here for a reason. And a lot of that, I believe, is something that we need to be able to help to get the people who are struggling through. And a lot of this, you know, this shame and the grief, a lot of this comes back to not wanting to give up on someone or something. And what I tell my clients is that it's not that you don't want to give up on them. You can give up on something and pivot if something's not working. What you don't give up on is the dream. And in this case, it's the dream of having a relationship 
that not only benefits them, but benefits you. Mm-hmm. You have to put yourself first in order to be able to give your best to the rest. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, I also want to add, Ray, with what you just said, and also what I was talking about earlier about how to set boundaries. If you are still in a relationship with a partner who's abusive, and if I may briefly, I'll talk about the difference, at least how I see it between toxic and abusive. If I may talk about that briefly too afterwards. Please do. Definitely. Uh, Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to say that if you're with an abusive partner, it may be very frightening to set a boundary and rightfully so. So when we talk about setting boundaries, if you're still in an abusive relationship, it's really important that you keep safety in mind first. Safety is always first. And with that, over time, if you want to take tiny, tiny little steps at a time to set boundaries to be safe, you know, you don't want to go suddenly from communicating in a passive way to a very assertive way that may be very unsafe. So of course, always assess for safety. I do want to emphasize that when we set boundaries and if you're still in that relationship. And uh, as far as the difference between toxic and abusive, at least the way that I see it, in a toxic relationship, one or both partners lack the skills to communicate effective. So let's say they might, one or both may, uh, you know, yell and scream and use verbal aggression or physical aggression, or let's say they stop talking to each other for a long time, and then they blow up because they haven't talked. They haven't expressed themselves in so long, and then one or both will blow up. You know, I see this as a toxic relationship. An abusive relationship is where one partner uses fear and manipulation to control the other partner. So there's difference in power because one person is using fear to control the other partner. Therefore, they don't have equal power in the relationship anymore, which means the other partner is not able to express themselves because if I express myself, they're going to retaliate against me. And so I'm going to keep my opinion to myself. I'm going to keep my need to myself and make it all about pleasing this person because I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it maybe psychologically, emotionally. Maybe I'll pay for it physically. Maybe I'll lose a a right because they take away, let's say, my right to go visit my mom because they're unhappy with me. No, you can't go out with your friends. Maybe they retaliate. uh, I'm sorry, I pay for it through my finances or sexually, or they end up spying on me or stalking me. And so these are all the ways that abuse shows up. And if there's that element of fear, if I express myself, I'm going to pay for it. And so that element is not necessarily a present when we're talking about abusive, where both partners have equal power. Definitely makes sense. And uh, you mentioned a few things there, and I kind of want to also follow up on that. For someone who may not really realize or recognize, because you know a lot of our lives we spend in autopilot, right? We don't always kind of consciously or aware of everything that's going on. What are some other red flags that women should be looking out for in order to realize that, hey, wait, what's going on here isn't right? Yes, uh, there are some warning signs, especially because I know if if you have been in an abusive relationship, let's say, and you want to start dating, but you're fearful because what if I get myself stuck in a really awful situation again? Well, of course, knowledge is power. And if we know what to look for, then we can go out there and start dating again uh, with with the feeling of empowerment, knowing that we don't, we can see the signs and remove ourselves from the situation and or address it right away so it doesn't get out of hand. And I do also want to say I work with women. So most of my clients 
their partner is men and sometimes their partner is a woman. I work with women, which is why I refer to women a lot. But I want to emphasize that, of course, abuse, you know, men experience abuse as well. Um, transgender, non-binary individuals experience abuse as well. So just because we're focusing on women, I want to make sure that I'm not leaving out other individuals who maybe potentially are, are experiencing abuse. I just wanted to acknowledge other genders as well. But yes, so the signs to pay attention to, and I have a list that I'm going to go through, but just because you see one or two of these items, it doesn't necessarily mean that the person is abusive or going to end up being abusive. But if you see a bunch of these together, it's important to pay attention to, but especially the last two, for sure, you want to pay attention to. Okay. So If you are dating somebody new and they move really quickly through the dating process, you just met them and they're already, like in a few weeks, they're proposing to you or they're asking you to move in with them. That's not a very good sign. If they get jealous of you too quickly. And by the way, Ray, feel free to interrupt me because this list is a little long. I'm going to go through it, but feel free to. No problem. Go for it. Yes. Okay. So if they're jealous, you know, you can't talk to this person and I don't want you to dress that way because it makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, we, we want to pay attention to that. If they do really huge favors for you at the beginning of a relationship, favors that really don't go with the fact that you just met. And again, it may be that this is a nice person. I want to emphasize this list doesn't necessarily mean that the person is going to be abusive, but just to know if you're noticing a few of them to be cautious. So. A lot of times when individuals do a huge favor for you, it's because consciously or subconsciously, they want to hold it over your head later on. You know, I did this thing for you and therefore you can't complain. Now, don't complain. Remember how when we just met, I did this huge thing for you. Now you can't complain. And this comes up quite often. If they are very, very negative about their ex and and everything was the ex's fault, They don't take any responsibility for their part in the relationship. Or let's say they do the opposite. They put the ex on a pedestal. She was great. They were this way. They did this for me, but you're not doing these things for me, or you're not as smart. Or They use the ex to put you down. That's a bad sign. If they criticize you constantly, of course, they give you opinions when you didn't ask for their opinion. We want to be mindful of that. If they're disrespectful to you, of course. If they're controlling and they want to have say over everything. And sometimes it can be flattering if you're just starting to date and they plan all the dates. It may be very flattering, but there comes a time maybe you you want to say, okay, I like to do this for our date to see, you know, how they respond to that. Are they okay with you having a say in, in the plan or they want to continue the plan or, you know, other activities to just be be mindful of that. If they're obviously, if they're mean to kids or pets, we definitely want to be paying attention to that. If they're very self-centered, everything is about me, me, me. They, they never ask you about how are you doing? How was your day? How are things going in your life? What are your goals and dreams? And you know, it's always about the self and not the other partner. Also, the other one, If they admit to abuse in the past, if they admit to it, but they say, my ex made me do this to them, it's their fault that I did this to them. That's a huge red flag. If they pressure you for sex when you're not ready for sex, if they see, let's say you're a woman who dates men, and if let's say this man that you're dating sees women as inferior, you know, not good, we want to be aware of that. If they have double standards, I can go out with my friends, they say, 
two, three nights a week, but you can't because I feel uncomfortable if you go out with your friend. Double standards are, are also a red flag. The last two are indicative of abuse perhaps is already starting. If they intimidate you, if they intimidate you, the other one, if they threaten you, if they intimidate you or threaten you, you're already in an abusive relationship. And to get support, if it's safe to get out right away, to get out. If it's not safe to get help from the hotline in your community. I mean, here in, I'm in California, Los Angeles, and we have community resources everywhere for domestic violence. Hopefully the same is true everywhere. So make sure to please call your hotline and get help and get advice as to how you can get out safely. And I'll definitely be putting some of those inside the show notes today. But those resources are very important. And I definitely am appreciative and grateful that you've been able to share this information with us because a lot of these red flags, you know, sometimes people may just sweep it under the rug, like, oh, it's nothing big. It's nothing big. But it really, it takes one step forward every time to get into a stickier and stickier situation. So knowing what you're facing, I definitely I believe is something that everyone should really be focused on. Yes, definitely. I know in my young, younger days, I a couple of times I let it slide because you're young. You're like, maybe you don't trust your own intuition. You don't trust your own observation. Maybe I'm just making this bigger than it is. But in reality, the intuition tells us that, no, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't feel right. But we keep going thinking that maybe we were wrong in our observation. And as you mentioned, the more we wait, the longer we wait, the more difficult it gets to get out. Exactly. And I want to circle back to your, your group work as well, because in healing, there's a lot of trial and error in order to be able to find what works and what doesn't. Not everyone is going to have the same thing work for them that will work for you and vice versa. So throughout your journey and working with you know, these groups of women, what have you found that has helped your clients the most? Yes. If I may share about the program that I have designed, because I have designed it specifically around the question that you just asked. Because this is based on all the groups that I offered and put together myself. And so I brought the highlights into, as I mentioned earlier, into a three-month program. So what I noticed that works is actually the four U's. It's the, the program is called Empowerment for You. That's number four and letter U. The first U, as you mentioned earlier, is to unlearn the lies that you were told about you. This is the part of the program where we focus on identifying the beliefs that don't work for you, identifying the beliefs that are not accurate, and to challenge them and to evaluate them and replace them with thoughts that are accurate and balanced and helpful. And this is where we talk about patterns that keep showing up, patterns of thinking, thought patterns that are not helpful to us, but they've been with us for so long that we assume they're accurate thoughts, even though they're not. But so these are the lies that we're talking about. So. That's the first part of the program. The second part of the program is called Uncover. That's the second you. Uncover the differences between healthy and unhealthy relationships. And this is where we talk about the difference between healthy love versus toxic love, loving quotation, because you know, toxic and love obviously don't go together. And to recognize the signs and to we discuss these red flags that we just talked about. We discuss healthy versus unhealthy boundaries. What do they look like? Because many women don't know what they're supposed to look like. And so then the third you is untie yourself from shame and move towards self-compassion. Shame has been called the master emotion because it's such a powerful emotion. 
if we feel it in one area of our life, it can easily seep into other areas of our life and it can hold us back and it can get us stuck. It's very hard to move forward if we're stuck in shame. And so this is where we talk about where shame comes from, the difference between shame and guilt, and how are ways that we defend against shame, thinking that we're fighting it off, but we're actually making it bigger and stronger. And one way we do that is one way we defend against shame, by the way, is that we go into withdrawal and we go into ourselves and and we just uh, hide ourselves from family or society, and coworkers. And, and that actually makes shame bigger. You know, So we talk about that. And then fourth you is upgrade your vision for your future. As we were talking about earlier, if we, if we see ourselves through the eyes of the others, our goals for ourselves is always tiny and we, we were stuck. But now that we understand shame and we can release the shame and move through it, what bigger vision can we have for ourselves? So every group member will come up with their own vision for their future. And then we have exercises where we discuss how we can match our thoughts, our behaviors, and our feelings to that vision so that we're on track and we can keep track of where we're going. And when we're going the other way, we can actually pause. No, my vision is over here. This behavior does not match this vision. So we can practice catching ourselves or this thought doesn't match that vision. And we move toward the vision. We have practices that we that we do. And also for this group, I also offer a live check-in every in the middle of the week because the group is always on a Sunday. So we check in on Wednesdays in a private Facebook group. I check in with everyone live to see how they're doing and check in with them if they're if how they're doing with their commitments. Because every week everybody comes up with their own commitment for the week. And we check on the commitment, any barriers, any wins. You know, so we have that support in the private Facebook group as well between sessions. Let's talk about support for a moment. I always believe that there's a time and a place when something comes to us that we need to hear and we need to hear it at that moment, at that time, at that place. And I believe that this episode, our conversation here is going to be at that time and place for someone listening today. But what if that person is feeling like maybe I can do it alone? Maybe I don't need group support to be able to help get myself out of this situation. What would you tell someone who is kind of scared maybe to take that step and saying, you know what? I think I do need help with this. And I think that I can't do this alone. Yes. Thank you for that very important question. First of all, I want to say that it's completely normal and common. I mean, every group member has told me over the nine years that I've done this, that they were very nervous and anxious the first day. Because what if other group members now judge me? What if you, the group facilitator, judges me? Because that's what we're used to. And so to recognize, first of all, that it's completely normal to be anxious and nervous when you first start. But once you're in that environment, you will see that there's no judgment. Everybody's on the same boat. And so that's that. The other issue that causes anxiety about group is what if I'm forced to speak and I don't want to speak? And so I always remind the ladies who I speak with, nobody's forced to speak. You speak when you're ready to speak. You share when you're ready to share. Nobody's forcing you. Nobody's judging you. But of course, what I notice is within session one or even sometimes the first, even the person who said, I don't want to share. They end up sharing something the first session. But sometimes by by second or third session, you feel comfortable enough and safe enough to share. But there's no pressure. You can just sit there and learn by listening to other people's examples and feel validated and see yourself in other people's examples. 
Because really that's the most healing part about the group is that we see the self and the other and vice versa. Because we are born to be a social being. We're not born to suffer and struggle alone. That's not our, our nature is to be connected. And connecting with other people is very healing. Yes. So another hesitation that some people may experience about coming to a group service is, especially for intimate partner violence, um, you might say to yourself, I don't want to come to this group because I don't want to hear all the details about people's traumas and it's going to bring my own trauma and bring up my own trauma. And I just don't want to be involved in any of that. And so to that, I will say, because we're focused on the present moment mostly, of course, during our work as a coach, I help you to recognize your feeling, your thought, your behavior in the current moment. Because as I mentioned before, currently I do not provide psychotherapy. So we do not dig deep into the past. Therefore, we don't focus on the past too much. It's not to say that the past doesn't come up. It does come up, but we don't stay focused on the past. And in fact, I ask my clients because this is not a therapy, this group is not a trauma group. If you can, I ask everyone to please, as much as possible, stay away from giving details of past trauma because this is not a trauma group. But of course, you know, as I mentioned, your past is brought up. You can obviously say my partner was unkind to me or my partner abused me in this way or was toxic in this way. That's fine. But we don't stay on that too much. So I don't want you to worry about for this particular service anyway, that we stay focused on the past and because we don't. How do you go about helping clients who are really struggling to push themselves out of their comfort zone to be able to feel that it's okay to push yourself just a little bit because you need to be able to push yourself out of the comfort zone in order to be able to make change, to bring about change? Yes. It's that recognition that to wait for the mood to come, we might wait forever. If we're waiting for the mood, for that motivation, for that enthusiasm to come, it's kind of like going to the gym. It's like, or going for a walk. Okay, so I'm not, go, I'm not in the mood to go to the gym, so I won't go. If we're staying that place, we will never go to the gym. We will never go for that walk. But we know once we actually take that walk or once we actually go to the gym that our, that our mood elevates, right? So to answer your question, if we wait for the motivation to come, it may never come. And so to remember and remind ourselves of that, that I need to take actual steps, even if it's a tiny step, even if it's a tiny step, let's say you've been depressed and you've been, you haven't taken a shower in four days or a week. Let's say the first step, maybe to just take that shower, comb your hair. If that's the first step, take that first step. The first step doesn't need to be huge. The first step needs to be small so that you do it. And once you do it, you can pat yourself on the back and say, I did this. I'm proud of myself. I took my first shower in a week. I washed my face today, which I hadn't done in three days, for example, or I got out of my bed more than I did like the day before. Start with a very, very small steps. Build your confidence toward getting out there and getting help. Definitely. And I totally agree with that. You're 100% on the money with that. Really, when I work with my clients, it comes down to building traction. Because traction is what leads to momentum. And once you have momentum, you can start to build hope. And then once you have hope, you can start to believe. And that definitely seems like that's what you do with your clients as well. Because I'm assuming from your experience, that's worked well in the past and currently yes. still work. Yes. 
Yes, because we remember earlier we were talking about shame and shame gets uh, bigger with self-judgment. So let's say if I haven't taken a shower in a week and I keep telling myself, look at you, you haven't even taken a shower for a week. That just makes the shame bigger. But if I go against it to say, I'm going to take the tiniest step today and get out of my bed and wash my face even because self-care is self-compassion. I go out there, wash my face, and then I'm going to praise myself. I did something different from yesterday or the day before. And so I go into self-compassion and praise myself. Does that make sense? Definitely. 1% better every day is 365% better one year from now. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Well, I truly believe that what you do is absolutely life-changing. And in this world, it's needed now more than ever, especially with everything that's been going on with pandemic and lockdowns. And again, as I know for a fact that someone out there is listening to this episode at the right time in that right place. So for that person, how can they connect with you so that you can support them on their journey? Yes, please do come visit my website, powertothself.com, powertothself.com. And I offer free half-hour consultation. Feel free to set up a consultation for us to talk and see if we're a good fit for each other. We may or may not be, but we won't know until we have that half-hour consultation. And as I was mentioning before, for women who um, have experienced intimate partner violence, I offer a a free masterclass every couple of weeks. Feel free to look for the announcement on that on my website. And this is a live complimentary webinar. It's called How to Say No Without Guilt. And so if you are someone who is experiencing resentment because you keep saying yes, or you feel guilty when you say no, and you want to find your way around this complicated situation with with boundaries and communication, this is a 75-minute masterclass where we discuss this very topic. Awesome. Fantastic. And I will put some of these in the show notes so that way listeners can have quick access to it. Very good. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to be here, Ray. You do wonderful work. And I find your podcast episodes so empowering and inspiring. And so thank you also for the service that you provide to parents. Well, thank you. I appreciate you spending your time and giving us space here today because what you do is very important. And I'm honored and grateful to be able to help share your message. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you. If you found this or any other episode helpful, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This will help us take another step closer to our goal of transforming the lives and impacting the worlds of 11 million people. And as a special thank you to those who do leave a review, we'll read it on air and give you a special shout out at the end of an episode. And that's it for today's show. Thank you for showing up for you here today. The best investment you can ever make is in yourself. And time is the most valuable commodity in the world. So I'm honored and grateful for you to have spent your time here with me. And I hope I was able to give you the value and impact you need on your journey. I'll see you next week. Until then, you're just one unwavering action away from a completely different life. To the journey. Much love. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you've gained new insight. Don't forget to subscribe, take consistent action, and join us next time on From Surviving to Thriving Podcast.
take on the world. <laughs>